Will you turn with me again, please, to the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28 and verse 10, please. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, my father, and the God of Isaac. And the land whereon thy liest to thee will I give it unto thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a voice saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of thou that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee, give the tenth unto thee. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship and adore you tonight as it's already been prayed. We love you because you first loved us. And we tell you there's none like you. We need your blessed spirit to come and to anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. O God, that you would come in all thy fullness and work among us this evening to the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak through clay lips tonight, Lord, and speak into clay ears tonight, Lord, and let your word drop into hearts, the hearts of men and women which are here and gathered and those who are watching live or later. May thy word find its lodging place in the midst of all of us and that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, would be seen, lifted up, exalted, magnified, and glorified. To that end, Lord, shut us in with yourself. 
And may you receive the glory. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Jacob's pillow, Jacob's ladder, and Jacob's vow. That's what we want to speak on, the Lord helping us this evening. Jacob's pillow, Jacob's ladder, and Jacob's vow. Now, we looked at Jacob's journey last week. We won't really go into that anymore, but we want to move on quickly. Jacob's pillow. It says in our reading in verse 11, and he took of stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place. And Jacob rose early and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And this stone which I have set, he says in verse, pardon me, verse 22, I jumped across, forgot to tell you, verse 22, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Notice this, Jacob's pillow stone becomes Jacob's pillar stone. The pillow which he used to rest his head upon on his weary journey. And there, as he rests his head in the morning, he sanctifies that which the Lord had shown him and that which he had seen by the pouring of oil upon it. Stones are mentioned in the plural, but one in particular he seems to have raised up and poured oil upon, and the pillow became a pillar. A weary saint with a stone pillow is not unreachable to God. A weary saint with a stone pillow and with a strange surroundings is not unreachable to God. And maybe you feel sometimes that you, especially in the night watches, we know when everyone is asleep and the world seems to have gone quiet, that you feel maybe at times you are the only one in the whole wide world who is awake at this present time because of that which has gone through your head. And your pillow, as it were, seems like a stone. Your pillow is uncomfortable. Well, a weary saint with a pillow A stone pillow is not unreachable to God. Jacob comes to a certain place. He didn't know the place, but he was weary, and there he stopped. And that certain place became a God-ordained place. That place where he stopped, where he chose the stone and lay his head upon it, became a place of revelation. And Jacob didn't realize he was about to move in to the plan of God in his life. Sometimes in your weariness, you feel that you're maybe just going through the motions. You're on the hamster wheel, as it were. And don't give up, brother, and don't give in, sister, because maybe at some point and place where you don't realize it, you're about to move into the place of blessing and revelation of Christ. And that he will show you what his plans and what his purposes are for you and for your life. Whatever your condition no matter your surroundings, wherever you may be or however uncomfortable life seems, your furnishings in life are. God knows how to reach your heart. And God knows how to reveal his glory to the weary saint, to the troubled soul, and how to give them rest and strength within their spirit and to bring peace and comfort to their mind. 
And maybe your life is uncomfortable at the minute. Well, just bring it all to the Lord. And maybe your pillow seems to be made of stone. Well, as you sleep, and as you go from night to night, and from time to time, remember Jacob was in a certain place, but it was known to God. He's just out walking. He's taking his travel. He's going to Uncle Laban's house. He sent an obedience to his father Isaac. But God knew exactly where and when to find him. And when the sun was setting, there he picks the place and the pillow. And God knows the exact time that you need him to meet you at. Notice in verse 16 of our reading, please. Verse 16, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Imagine that. Imagine the Lord being somewhere and you not recognizing it. Imagine the Lord being somewhere and you not comprehending it nor understanding it nor sensing it, feeling it. But Jacob said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. But it's just a certain place. It's a desert place. It's a barren place. It's a stone pillow. But the Lord was in that place. Notice this salvation. Your salvation and mine. Salvation is not by education. Salvation is not by education. But salvation is through revelation. Through the Holy Spirit of God revealing our sinful nature. Revealing all those things that when we realize we're sinners, they make us uncomfortable. Can I ask you, brother, sister, do you still feel uncomfortable when you're sinning? Do you still feel uncomfortable when you've done or gone wrong? Salvation is not by education, but salvation is through revelation. The Holy Spirit revealing us to ourselves our sin and then revealing the Christ of God who bore away our sin that we might be saved. Jacob was about to have a wonderful night, a wonderful time, uncomfortable as it was, but a time of revelation. You know, I've, including myself, have talked with many people as they've been saved, and they have come through a rough time of conviction of sin. They've had a rough time when God has been speaking to them, wrestling with them, dealing with them, calling them and drawing them. And they've been struggling with God and against God and against his word. And then through irresistible grace, they finally relent and yield and come as guilty, hell-deserving sinners, recognizing their sin, uncomfortable as it is to hear it. And they come pleading for the blood to wash them which Christ shed at Calvary. Notice here, brothers and sisters, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 14, the apostle Paul writes, but the carnal man or the natural man receiveth not the things of God. I want you to get that. This is for those who are trying hard. This is for those who think they're good enough. This is for those who even think we'll go to a Bible college and they'll learn, they'll get all the string of letters behind my name, and they might know the Bible, but they don't know the author. They might know God's word, but they don't know the author. 
the word of God himself. And they're still natural men, unregenerate, not quickened by the Spirit. And take note of this. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the men and the women who are not saved, even if they could tell you the Bible inside out, if they don't know the Lord personally, if they have never had an encounter at Calvary with Christ, uh, then they are still in their sin and they are spiritually discerned, not realizing it's more than ink upon a page. It's more than words imprinted in their psyche and into their mind. Thomas Adams once wrote, Repentance is a change of the mind. Repentance is a change of the mind. And regeneration is the change of the man. Repentance is when we change our minds about who we think we are and who we think God is. Repentance is when we change our mind from following the things of the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life and and chasing after it, leaning upon it, trusting in it and loving to do it. We turn from it 180 degrees, turn away from it, change our minds to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is when we change our minds and our minds direct our hearts. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if your treasure is in anything but Christ, your heart will be away from Christ. If your treasure is anything but Christ, then your heart will be away from Christ. Rather than Christ being our treasure. And our treasure is in heaven. And our treasure is coming again. We sang it tonight. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds. Shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Tonight, brothers and sisters and friends, let's understand that those who do not have the regenerated or the the illuminated spirit of man by the Holy Ghost, uh, by the Holy Spirit of God, then they think all of this is foolishness. So we're fools tonight who are saved. We are fools tonight who are singing. And we are foolish tonight for gathering. And I'm a fool for preaching. I'm a fool for Christ. I'm a fool for the Lord. And I don't care who knows it. I don't care who knows it. Surely the Lord is in this place, said Jacob. And I knew it not. So he puts his head on a pillow of stone. And he anoints it and it becomes a pillar stone. Now stones were really something that they continue to speak when paper has run thin. When memories have faded in the minds of men and women, stones continue to speak. For example, we have war memorials. Continue to remind us. Maybe names are engraven in them and so on. Different memorials of those who have given their lives or we have memorials at football clubs uh, 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 for people who have lost their lives at it. And, and there it is, and people can see it, and people can uh, read it. So stones is, is something that in the Scriptures reminds us. It speaks. It speaks. 
For example, we don't need to turn to it tonight, but I would mark it down and read it when you go home or when you get a chance. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, the Lord said to Israel, I want you to take stones and put plaster on them and write my law upon them that people may see it and read it. So the stones would speak. The law of God would speak every time someone walked past these stones. And there the law of God would be speaking unto Israel. And Israel becomes known as the stone kingdom, the Hebraic stone kingdom from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob now. And here he's anointing a pillar stone and where even the kings of Israel were then crowned at it or upon it. Right through, and we talked about some of that even last week. Notice when Joshua were bringing Israel through uh, the Jordan. And the Lord says to take 12 stones to pile them up. And he says, these stones, when your children and your grandchildren and their children and your children's children's children would say, what is these stones? What do these stones mean? Say, well, this is to remind us how the Lord opened up the Jordan River and how we passed through the Jordan River. And this is to show God was in the midst of his people. God was in the midst of the land, the nation, the people. Brothers and sisters, how you can see even the very enemies of the gospel and the very enemies of the word of God, those who think this is foolishness cannot see the spiritual impact of something like this. And hence they take down the moral commandments of God, which is written in stone away from universities. They take it away from schools and from colleges, from public square. They take it away from everywhere. Don't be surprised if they take it away from those who would lift the Bible and tell the truth and swear upon it in court. They take it away to rob the people of the word of God and every remembrance of Christ must go. But the stones, when it's there as a memorial, as a remembrance, it's like the ancient landmarks. Remove not the ancient landmarks, said the prophet. Don't move them. The ancient landmark of Israel were the pillar stone, was the Ten Commandments. The ancient landmarks of our nation, the ancient landmarks of this land, Ireland, the land of saints and scholars. Now we could say something else, couldn't we? Patrick drove out the snakes, and now the snakes are driving out the Christians. Now the snakes in the form of two-legged snakes, the serpentine-minded people are drawing and chasing out the Christians from the land. Let us not allow the ancient landmarks to be removed, the ancient landmark of the cross of Christ, the ancient landmarks of the blood in the book, the word of God that speaks to us and tells us of our need of a saviour. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, sees a dream. And he asked for the, the, the dream to be told and the interpretation. And Daniel comes and he gives him, uh, tells him the dream. He says he's seen a man with a head of gold and paraphrasing for time, and with chest and arms of silver and a belly of brass and legs of iron and feet of iron, part of iron and part of clay. And this is what he says, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. He starts the interpretation by saying, 
Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, the king in Babylon, the head of gold is you and your kingdom, the Babylonian. And then there come another kingdom, which was the Medo-Persian kingdom, the two arms for the Medes and the Persians. And then came along Alexander the Great through time, and they conquered the land, and that was the bronze kingdom, the brass of the midriff of this man of the dream. And then came the pagan Roman Empire of the legs of iron. The Lord Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that was the legs of iron. And that came right down to ten kingdoms. Ten kingdoms represented most of what Europe is today. Brothers and sisters, I've taught on this extensively, and without getting into it again, this is what I want to say to you. Daniel says, and, I, and you saw a dream, and he says, and, and there was a stone cut out without hands. In other words, it wasn't man-made. It's not a man-made brick. It's not like a, a square brick, or it's not like a block of stone. It was a, a stone cut out without hands, and it came, and it smashed the image at its feet, right at the feet. And the whole trait of Babylon was through it. The, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron. All of those traits that were through. These pagan systems. Uh, th- this mystery religion Babylon that, that's in the world today. And the feet, we're, we're sitting at the feet of it. We're right at the feet of it tonight. But there's a stone cut out without hands. It's coming. And it smashes it on the feet. And we read about it in Revelation chapter 17 and into 18. And Judah says, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. In other words, the whole lot is going to come down around. The one word ecumenical worship system headed by the papacy. It will fall and it will crumble. The economic system will fall. The buying and the selling will fall. And the governmental system of a new world order is going to fall down around them because there is a new world order coming. It's called the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. The holy comes riding on the clouds and shining like the sun. You see, the stone kingdom, the stone kingdom was Hebraic from Abraham. You might say, how do you realize this? Well, let me go take you to Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1. Isaiah 51 and verse 1 says, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and from the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn. What rock? Lord, what rock are you telling Isaiah to tell us to look to? He says, look to your father Abraham. And then he says, look unto your mother Sarah. This Hebraic, a Hebrew kingdom then is whittled down to an Israelite through Jacob here, anointing a pillar stone. And then God will bring kings out of Israel and right down the line. In Ireland, a lay a foil. Tara's Hill. In Scotland, at Moot Hill, at Perth, then you have the Stone of Schoon. And they were, all the kings that came out of there, they they were anointed at it and set as Scottish kings, Irish kings, Scottish kings, right down to Queen Elizabeth tonight where the stone is set under her chair. And this tradition has went down to say this is the kingdom of stone. 
Our nation sent forth the missionaries. Our nation printed the Bible. Our people went forth around the world and we've seen millions upon millions of souls being ushered in to the great kingdom of God. And in Daniel chapter 2, it says, the stone comes and smashes the image at its feet and these kingdoms fall. And at the second coming of Christ, it says that this kingdom through time, it goes from a stone to the size of a mountain. In other words, it spreads, it gets bigger until it fills the whole earth. (laughs) And when Christ comes, he's taken over the earth. Jesus is coming to take over the earth. People think he's going to come halfway, take us to heaven, and everybody disappears. And that's the end of it. We're going up to come down to root and reign with Christ. He's coming to take over the earth. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Notice this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The apostle Paul speaks of a stone that followed Israel in the wilderness. He shows us the house of God side of it, the spiritual side, the sanctified side, the oil-anointed side. A literal stone, but with a spiritual context. And he says in 1 Corinthians 10, and you can read from verse 1 to 4 around about there. Listen to verse 4. Paul says, And they did all drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Who was represented in the stone? Christ. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters, because people think, well, it's only a stone anointed with oil. And that's what it is. It's a stone. It's a stone of the earth, and it's anointed with oil. But it's more than that. It represented the Holy One of Israel. It represented the anointed Son of God coming. It represented the kingdom of God in the earth, now in Jacob's time. Filling the earth at the coming of Christ and the rule and reign of Christ. And he says that this rock was Christ. He was in the pillar of fire, in the pillar of cloud, Christ. Everything points to him. The whole lot of it points to him. He's the king of this kingdom. And yet he's the saviour of the soul. Take note here, brothers and sisters, in Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. If you want to look it up, I'll get a drink. Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. Listen to Lord Jesus as he speaks to the Jews especially the Pharisees who had gathered around, the leaders of the Jews. Luke 19, verse 40, he says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now we get the idea in our head, there's a a mouth will grow on a wee stone, they'll start to shout, don't we? That's not what he means. That's not what he means. He means the stone kingdom. What about Jacob's pillar stone? What about Abraham's grandfather? The rock from whence you are hewn. What about your Hebraic, he says. What about your Hebraic heritage? What about your Israelite heritage, he's saying. He says, all of these rocks, all of these monuments, all of these remembrances, he says, will cry out against you. 
What about the anointed pillar, which was the pillow? He'll cry out against you, he says. You know why? Because Jacob's seen Christ. Jacob's seen the, the Lord at the top of the ladder. Jacob's seen even in pictorial form, Christ is the ladder. I'll look at it in a moment. But he's seen the stone kingdom from his father and his grandfather now to be played out through him when he's later changed his name to Israel. And Jesus was saying, what about Joshua? And those stones to set up for a memorial. You know that God brought you out of Egypt. And you know that God brought you through the Red Sea under Moses. And you know that God brought you through the wilderness. And you know that God brought you right through the very Jordan. And there's the stones to prove it. Now they will cry against you. In other words, you're guilty if you don't. What if you don't worship him? What if you don't believe him? Well, this Bible, this anointed word, this holy book, this is the word of God, the ever-living word, will cry out against you. It will cry out against the unsaved, the Christ rejecter. It will cry out what God has done in here. It will bring up Jacob's pillar stone against you. We're hearing about it. It will bring up Abraham, our father. It will bring up Joshua and the coming through the Jordan because it's in the book and it's given to you. It will bring up all of these things. It will bring up the stones of the Ten Commandments where it says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And the first four are between God and man. They're vertical. And the next six are horizontal between man and man. God will bring them up and we will be measured according to the Ten Commandments and you'll be measured according to the the stones of God's Word. The stones will cry out against you if you're not saved. If you think it's foolishness, then you'll go home thinking it's foolishness. But if you die without Christ, this will cry out against you. It will cry out against you. And the greatest landmark of all, the greatest memorial of all, is the cross of Christ. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Christ rejecter who's heard the gospel of saving grace in Christ alone, it will cry out against every man and woman. The blood of Jesus will cry out. The Father will ask. He doesn't want to ask you. He's not going to say, well, how many times did you sleep around? He's not going to say, well, how many times were you in the pub? And he won't say, how many pints did you drink? Or how many whiskeys or whatever it is you drank? How many drugs did you take or whatever? He knows it all. But one thing he will say is, what have you done with my son? That's what he will ask you. What have you done with him? Have you accepted him? Or have you rejected him? Stones will cry out, Jesus said. Remember your father brought you through here. And you remember, brothers and sisters, every time you go to fade, every time you think the backslide, any time you feel to wander away from Christ, you remember that the stones that you're heard about will all stand as a witness against you. 
Listen to what First Peter says in chapter 2 and verse 5. And ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Notice, ye are lively stones or living stones. <laughs> Do you know what I used to be? I was like a dead brick. A big stone in your hand there, and you know, you either drop it or throw it, don't you? What are you doing, Belfast? Anybody else would say, you either drop it or throw it. Usually throw it. You hit that big brick, and you speak to it all you want, it isn't going to talk. But you seem in the spirit of that's your heart and mine, a stony heart. A stony heart before God, an unbelieving heart, a Christ rejecting heart, a degenerate heart, a depraved nature and heart it's like a stone which is an animate object that you speak it won't speak back you drop it it won't say ouch because it's dead that was our hearts but the holy ghost comes he starts to move in you he starts to speak to you the lord starts to work in you and all of a sudden you start to come alive and that stony heart becomes like a heart of beating flesh Becomes alive. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Oh, as the heart panteth after the waterproofs, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And that's how we end up beating after Christ, desiring Him, loving Him, worshiping Him, adoring Him, praising Him, exalting Him, magnifying Him. How's your heart tonight? How's your heart? Our pastor used to say, how's your love life? <laughs> How's your love life tonight? Isn't that right, ever? How's your love life? How's your love life? I'm not talking about the, the one you're, you're, you've picked up and during the night and or during the week. Sorry, not during the night. During the week. <laughs> during the week. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about your love life between you and Christ. A living stone, a beating heart. A living stone all week, not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to Sunday from 24-7. Beating, beating. Yes, to keep your heart alive and your blood pumping. Yes, but to beat after Christ. How's your love life? Speaking to someone, you fell out of love with him. You fell out of love with him. You don't backslide overnight, you know. You don't backslide overnight. Do you know why you fall away? Oh, well, somebody done this, or the pastor said, no, listen, don't blame anybody else. You fall out of love with him, and that's why you backslide. You backslide because you've fallen out of love with Christ. Is there someone here with a backslidden heart? A heart that has went cold again as the stone that God has quickened it from. Oh. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. It's like that. It's what your heart should be like for Christ. Lord, I love you. Lord, I desire you. Lord, I want you. Jesus, I need you. 
your heart, like your heart beating in your chest. Do you know, brother, whenever you first went to meet your, your wife and you first remember your heart used to skip the wee beat and all? Do you remember, maybe sister, it was you. Alison's heart used to race when I used to see me. <laughs> it still does, but now it's because I'm coming up to see her. She wants to get out of the road. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Do you remember your heart? Do you remember you wanted to do everything according to his word? You, you, walked, you walked in love. You were before him in love. And you had a love life relationship with the living God through Christ. You just loved him. And there was nothing too much. There's nothing too big nor too hard nor too difficult. And there's nothing you wouldn't do for him. I saw people can't even get out of bed on a Sunday morning for him. Can't even get out of bed on a Sunday morning for him. Can't even make it to a church meeting for him. Never mind going to the secret place. Can't even, they can't even come out twice on a Sunday because, you know, it's a bit too much for us. Brothers and sisters, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about Christ. It's about loving him. Jacob's pillow. Better hurry, this is the ladder. In Genesis 28 and in verse 12, please. Genesis 28 and verse 12. We looked at the pillow, which was a pillar now, the ladder. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Notice here, this ladder set up and it reaches heaven. The word ladder here can also be termed staircase. It's a word, sulam. Sulam. And you know, this is the one and only time the word ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, or the word, it's Hebrew rendering, sulam. This is the only time it appears in the whole of the Bible. Now take note of this. It's the only time it's mentioned. The Hebrew word for it. Now there's a root word which mentions more. But I'm talking about here. The word that's used for ladder, salam, and the word ladder itself. It's the one and only time in all the Bible that this is used in this fashion. This, if you will, from the outset speaks of the exclusivity of this ladder. The exclusivity of it. It speaks from the beginning of the uniqueness of it. And it speaks from the start of the unparalleled ladder. There's nothing like this ladder. And Jacob, uncomfortable as he may be in the ground with a stone pillow, is having a revelation of a ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Do you know, it's been tried by man. And it's still, in a sense, being tried by man. But it's been tried by man to accomplish making it to heaven in his own merit and with his own steam. Think of Nimrod, the, the anti-God or the anti-Christ of the Scripture here, who has who made known to us in Genesis chapter 11. Listen to what it says in verse 4. 
Let us build us a city. Notice, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Let us make a tower that stretches to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. Man's hands. Man's works. Man trying, whether it's religion or ritual, or even man and woman thinking I'm good enough to reach heaven as I am. Nimrod says, let's make this hard to heaven. And the human venture failed, and so there still is only one way to heaven. There's only one way, and that's Jacob's ladder. That's Jacob's ladder. The, the exclusivity, the uniqueness, on the, uh, and this ladder being unparalleled, uh, it reminds us of the exclusivity of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the ladder represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The stone kingdom of Hebrew Israel, Christian Israelite men and women coming through time, the stone kingdom of God, but how do they get to heaven? Because they're just flesh and blood. They're just flesh and blood. Well, God has to drop a ladder down, as it were, that we may come up. The inability to save ourselves, it all must be of God. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. Paul tells us of the exclusivity of Christ. For there is one mediator. There's one God and one mediator. Notice, there's one God. And one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. One God. And one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Tells us there's only one saving name. And that is the name of Jesus. And Peter says. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven. Given among men. Whereby we must be saved. The uniqueness. The exclusivity. And the unparalleled Christ. I want you to stay with me here for a moment. Let us remember that the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14 and 6 says, I am the way, the exclusive way, the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, if you want to go to the Father, you'll find him through him. If you want to come to the Father, you'll find it in him and through him. Listen, when they nailed Christ to the cross, God was on the cross. When they nailed him to the cross, God was taking our punishment in the form of his son. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Paul tells us. When Christ was beaten, when Christ was bruised, when they pulled the beard out from his very face, when they lacerated his back to like a plowed field, God was in Christ. When the Roman flagellum whipped him, God was in Christ. When they mocked him and scorned him and jeered him, God was in Christ. The uniqueness of this man. Very God from very God and man of very man. And let's remember the uniqueness and the exclusivity of Christ. When he says, I am the way, not just one of many, I am the way. There wasn't a ladder and then other ladders. 
There wasn't a ladder and somebody trying to get a lift up like this. There wasn't a tower of Babel and you can try and climb it. There was none of it. There was no tower of religious denominationalism, no tower of, 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 of ritual and ceremony, no tower of elitists where they think that they are the greatest. No, the only way to heaven was up the ladder and the angels of God were ascending and descending on the ladder. And the only way you and I can get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ladder of Jacob. His kingdom is a kingdom of stone. The smashes the image on the feet and ruins every machination and imagination of man on the earth. Remember he said, I am the bread of life. Right? Not a bread, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, what does he say? Shall never hunger. Shall never be thirsty. I am the true vine, he says. My father's the husband. And the vine was a symbol of Israel. And he's saying, I am what every Israelite is meant to be. I am what you're meant to be. And you aren't it. That's why he's saying this. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall never walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. Glory to God. When he comes again, there's going to be a great resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. We could go on, couldn't we? You know what he says to John? He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. In Genesis 28 and 12, there are two beholds. Behold the ladder. Notice, behold, there was a ladder set up in the earth on the top of it. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Notice this, brothers and sisters, these two beholds. It's the word hene, hene, and it means to look upon and to see. But the root word gives the element of surprise. You see this man with a pillow, a stone, and he, whatever way he fixes it up, and he's trying to get comfortable on it, and as he sleeps, all of a sudden, the Lord shows him a revelation, and there's the ladder. Behold! He's trying to draw your attention tonight. This is the stone that will cry out against those who have rejected him. Sometimes you go, oh, look at this. No, nice and... Nice stuff up or lip, you know. Oh, behold, look at this. That's not the way this reads. This is the way it reads. And behold the ladder. What? What ladder? Catches the attention. And behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. That's where it reads. Yes, the man on the platform. Yes, the man on the platform is, is, is loud at times. Yes, he is. But I'm trying to show you the way this is. It's, it's to draw our attention. Behold it. John the Baptist sees him coming down the river Jordan. The same ladder. Behold the Lamb of God. Which taketh away the sin of the world.
You know, the Lord says, Behold, I am with you, whether you go us. And he's saying, I want you to know, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. So this, this ladder, let me show you how it represents the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 51, John chapter 1, verse 51. I lifted that up to get a drink. I carried away, so we'll get another drink now. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hereafter, ye shall see heaven opened. Notice, now think of Jacob's dream. Heaven is opened. And the Lord is above, standing at the top of the ladder. And this represents him, the way to heaven. Now the Lord's on the earth. He's on the earth. And he says, Hereafter ye shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Just as they went up and down the ladder, Jesus says, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending to me. Remember, there was an angel who heralded the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, the angel said. The angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Mark 1 and 13 says, And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. You think you've got it bad, Jacob? Wait till your Lord comes. You think you've got it hard, Jacob? Wait till he comes. You think you've got it uncomfortable, Christian? He says, listen, if the word hated you, it hated me first. He says, everything you've went through, I've went through. Don't you worry about it because it hates me. He's in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He's emaciated because he hasn't died. Remember, he's a man. And he's with the wild beasts. And oh, Satan comes along to make things worse. He's not your friend, you know. The devil's not your friend. And take note of this. It says, and the angels ministered unto him. He takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, out, and he cuts the devil to pieces with it. And they leave him alone, leave everything he's left alone, and the angels come and minister unto him. It's like the Jacob's ladder there coming down, ascending and descending upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane and his weakness there as he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood the same night in which he was betrayed. Remember that he's there and he's asking his father to take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what thou wilt. And we're told in Luke 22 and in verse 43, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Can you imagine that angel? I'm just, and, and, and excuse me for sanctified imagination here, but I can see the angels looking over, as it were, the battlements of glory, or, or, or in that invisible realm that we can't really behold or see, and saying to the Father, let me help him. Lord, can I go help him? Look at, look, look at the pain, look at the suffering. He's almost dying with the weight of this in Gethsemane. Listen to the prayers. Can I help him? Oh, and the father must have said, no, he must go through this or else Ken Davidson will be lost. 
and dead and in his sin and in his road of broad destruction to hell. And you two brothers and sisters. And, and suddenly he must have had to go ahead. And the angel comes and strengthens him. Master. Master Lord. What did he say? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon him. It was an angel who announced his resurrection, by the way. Matthew 28 and 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Verse 5, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. And so Jacob's ladder is the only way to heaven, for Jacob's ladder spoke off and pointed to Christ. How do you think you'll get to heaven? How do you think you'll get to heaven? Lastly and quickly, Jacob's vow says in Genesis 28 and 20, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. Listen to his vow, if God. Now God's already told him he would. Take him at his word, brother. Take him at his word, sister. Take him at his word, friend. And he says, come on to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest to, to take his yoke upon him, you and, and learn for you because his yoke is meek and lowly and his burdens light. Take him at his word. I believe you, Lord. When he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, take him at his word. I'm struggling, Lord. Take him at his word. In Genesis 28 and 20, do you know this is the very first mention also of a vow? V-O-W. Even vows or vowed isn't there before this. This is the first mention of the word vow. It's the word nadar. If God will be with me, some theologian says it should read, since God will be with me. You see, the believer knows God will be with them because they take him at his word. Paul says, if you remember the Apostle Paul, says, if God be for us, who then can be against us? Isn't that right? If God be for us. But the idea there in the Greek New Testament isn't if God. Well, what if he's not? Because that's that's what happens. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. If or if not. But the Greek New Testament says, since God is for us. That is, the believer, the elect of God, the stone kingdom people of Christ. Since God is for me, take him at his word, brother. Take him at his word, sister. Since he is, there's no doubting in God. I'm saved. I don't doubt it. Do you know why? Because he told me he saved me if I trust in him. He told me his blood will wash away all my sin, so I believe him. He says I'm a new creature in him. I believe him. Take him at his word. Since God be for me, who then can be against me? And it said that Jacob should really be saying here, since God is with me. Since he's with me. I'm running this to a close. I want to look at just this five for two minutes. Maybe five. Set the stopwatch now. Oh, I haven't got one on. 
The word void is the word nadar. And really, this word gives the idea of a promise. Jacob promised the Lord. Jacob promised the Lord. Made a vow. See here it says Jacob vowed a vow. See in the Semitic. So the Semitic languages are ancient languages. And, and the Semitic languages, are like Arabic would be a Semitic language and so forth. And, and then the Semitic Arabic language. See the word here for, for vow. You know what it means? It means to drop or to scatter seed. It's like Jacob in his heart is dropping all before God. It's offering like seed scattered. Jacob's coming and his words are like seeds. If or since you're with me. idea since you're with me Lord we come before him our words are not to be idle words nor in vain repetition but come with every meaning of your heart you bring it before the Lord and you drop it as it were Lord this offering since you're for me I believe you since the blood of Jesus was shed for me since Christ died for me, the Son of God who loved me, and He gave Himself for me, my heart is yours. It like it, it drops like seed being sown into a field. And Jacob here is sowing a seed, and the Lord said of, uh, that the promise was to him and to his seed that shall be as the dust of the earth. You'll spread to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in, in, in thee and in, the, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In this stone kingdom that will be blessed. And around the world, gospel reached all our countries. The Bible was printed and taken from nation to nation into mother tongues of other lands. Nerve was taken and, and people were blessed and It's only the spiritual side of things. The seed. Lord Jesus in Matthew 13. The Lord Jesus tells a parable of a man sowing seed in a field. And he says, and as men, wild men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And cutting this down, he says, and the disciples wanted to know, what is the interpretation of this parable? And he says, this, the field is the world. The field is the world. He tells us that the field is the world. And listen to what he says. And the good seed, what the man sowed, the son of man is Jesus. And he says, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Israel were scattered. And he says, the good seed is the children of the kingdom. And listen, children of the kingdom, the enemy has come while we've been asleep. And the enemy has sown the seeds of tares of fear and of doubt. They've come to sow the seeds of division, separation one from another, making people stay at home, afraid to come out and afraid to go and do, afraid to be in company. And they have sowed the seeds of the tares of doubt 
No. The disciple says, come and pluck them all out. Get rid of them. He says, no, because you only destroy the good seed. You know what he says? Wait till I come again. And I'll send forth the angels who were on Jacob's ladder. He says, and they'll gather them up in the bundles and they'll burn them. They'll burn them. I want to see Israel marching. I want to hear the trumpet call. I want to see Zion's mountain. I want to see great Babylon Maybe you have vowed a vow. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 5 says in 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Brothers and sisters, friend, if you vow a vow unto God, make sure you pay it. Maybe someone here tonight and you vowed a vow. Oh, maybe a child's been ill. If, you, if my child's all right and you try to bargain, listen, the Lord loves your baby. You've tried to bargain with him. If you do this, I'll do that. Or some trouble in your life. If you do this, I'll do that. Listen, don't come. Jacob vowed the vow and he took the words, the seed, and he flung it before God. He couldn't gather it again. He made sure it happened. He says, this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. No, Jesus said, strive ye to enter in at the the straight gate. Strive ye to enter in at the straight gate. Have you entered the straight gate of salvation? In the uniqueness, the exclusivity, in the unparalleled way of Christ at the cross. 
Brothers and sisters, tonight you're at the gate of heaven. Maybe some didn't even know it. Maybe some didn't recognize it. Maybe some couldn't be bothered with it. But you're at the gate of heaven. Tim, would you come up, please?